Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. John Turturro is an acting legend. I mean, like lots of directors have actors that they like to work with. Turturro is a favorite of both Spike Lee and the Coen brothers. Starting from Do the Right Thing, he's appeared in nine of Spike's films, as well as four from the Coens. He has the distinctive look of a character actor. But unlike some character actors, he can do almost anything. He can play tough, devious, vulnerable, nebbishy, brooding, weird. He's never not himself, but no two roles are ever the same. So take his latest movie, Gloria Bell. It's directed by the Chilean filmmaker Sebastian Lelio. It's an English-language remake of Lelio's breakthrough 2013 film, Gloria. It's a movie about a relationship between two people who've both already been through a lot. Turturro plays Arnold, a retired Navy officer, divorced with two grown kids. He stars opposite Julianne Moore, who plays Gloria. She's also divorced and also has two grown kids. She's been going out dancing a lot lately. They meet at disco night at a club for the middle-aged. They start dating. Things get complicated. They've got very different family lives, different views about the world. The story gets messy and nuanced, and the performances from both Torturo and Moore keep you transfixed. This is a little bit from the film. It's towards the beginning when Gloria and Arnold go on their first date. I can't get you out of my head. I, I'm really I'm constantly thinking about you, just so different. What happened to me with you, I... I thought it was never going to happen again. My head's still spinning. It was driving me crazy. I mean, I wanted to, but I was too nervous to call you. But I went for it, thank God. So, thank you. Thank you for coming. You're very welcome. John Turturro, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I had this thought while I was watching Gloria Bell, which was, you know, you are an actor who is capable of taking over any scene that you are in, and you're also a very experienced writer and director. And this movie is very much Julianne Moore's movie. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you consider that when you are preparing for a role like this, that in part your character, while you're the probably the second lead of the film, is about, as they say, at least in comedy, throwing to Julianne Moore. Well, yes. I mean, I saw the original film... And uh, I thought, I, I love the original film that Sebastian Lelo uh, directed and wrote. And uh, I thought the woman was great, but I also thought the man was quite interesting. When he said he was going to, you know, do it again and that Julianne wanted to do it, I read it, I read the script and I was a little bit on the fence. And then I spoke to uh, Sebastian and he told me what he liked about the character that 
you know, it's essential that the audience believes that they they have something between them uh, and that the guy, what he loved about the character was that he kept trying. And then Julianne asked me, you know, to do it. So sometimes you do a movie not as much for the role as who you're going to be working with. And I wanted to work with Julianne and I wanted to work with Sebastian. And it actually turned out to be quite a uh, fun and creative uh, uh, environment. And I really, really, I really loved working with both of them. And sometimes it's nice to be in support of something that I think is is human. And uh, and it's nuanced and it's full of contradictions and stuff. And, you know, and, and then there are other times I want to do it, you know, it's for the part, you know, and sometimes you get to do everything. Do you think differently when you are on set acting than when you are on set directing or even on set directing and acting? Uh, well, yeah, that's a little schizophrenic because you, you, you have to be the child and the parent, <laughs> uh, so to speak. But uh, that can be schizophrenic. Uh, but yes, yeah, I'm not in, – in, in working with Sebastian, I think both Julie, Julianne and I were – we're both, you know, we can speak up for ourselves and maybe both can be strong-willed. But with him, we, because he's so smart and gentle, but also firm, we we really tried his suggestions. And then we would, you know, vary it a lot. And he he wasn't really result-oriented. He wanted to see what would happen, you know, between us. But he also had the advantage of knowing what could work from having done it before. So it'd be interesting to work in, with the same people in something that's brand new, too. Uh, I, I'm going to play another scene from the movie, which is called Gloria Bell. And Arnold, which is my guest John Torturo's character, is like he, he reads some really sweet poetry about love um, yeah. to, uh, to Gloria, Julianne Moore's character. And it kind of brings her to tears, and they lean in and start to kiss and it's very beautiful and then as you alluded to uh, Arnold's outside life intrudes his phone rings and he leaves the room to take the call then comes back in why are you here because I'm with you then why can't you tell them that you're with me well I don't want to involve them in our thing no way no way. Why, why drag them into a situation that they're incapable of understanding? Why? So they can say, oh, my God, you have a girlfriend? You stupid old man? I'm not old. How could you even think of dating at your age? They, 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 I know them. They make fun of me. And why give them the chance? The, I thought that I would, you know, um, I'm a part of your life, aren't I? You're the most important part of my life. Well, then I want to feel that. And if you're lying to your daughters, then I'm not. They're grown-ups, right? They're not that grown-up. I mean, physically, they are, but I don't know if it's a generational thing, but they see me as their father, not as a person. I've always been the one worrying about them. And they've never worried about me, not at all. It's a really lonely feeling. Do you believe, Arnold, when you're saying those words yeah absolutely you have to believe them i mean you know people who they always believe what they say 
I think. Yeah, I think they do, you know. And uh, that's not to say I couldn't have done it better. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but yes, I, I don't think people think, even people, I don't think he's a liar. I just think he can't, he doesn't have the fortitude or the confidence or the or the courage uh, to to sever uh, a relationship and say, listen, this is what it is. You can't call me here. You can't do this, you know, and uh, I'm going to start doing things for myself. He's able to do a certain amount, but not, he, he can't go the, the whole hog. And lots of people are stuck in dysfunctional relationships and where the person doesn't want the best for them, but they, I mean... Love is such a ill-defined word. I mean, some people like to possess and control other people, and some people don't know how to get out of that. So, yes, I do think he he means what he says, or he's trying to convince himself what he says. But I don't think people, uh, even people who are really, you know, habitual liars, I, I, I think they probably uh, can't delineate you know, when they are and when they aren't. But I don't think that that's the case. I think he's he's really trying, but he's... Uh, and that was kind of the challenge of it because I, I'm not really... I don't really have that, that much in common with him that way <laughs> at all. I mean, I think in that scene, he talks about it and he feels like an outsider and he comes from a different world. Mm-hmm. And that, and and then seeing their family all together makes him feel even more of an outsider because his family doesn't function. And I think if you come from that kind of family, it's hard to appreciate what other people have or don't have. I remember one of my most vivid memories of teenagedom, or a set of memories, is going to my wife's family's house, and she, right. she and I have been together since we were teenagers, and. Her family, to this day, love each other very much and get along very well. Right. And I remember being terrified and trapped, feeling right. trapped by the fact that's that right. they liked each other. That's right. No, I, see, <laughs> th- you're hitting it right on the head. And that's what that scene is about. He's he's you or me, uh, especially men, I think, can, ev- can be more that way uh, if you're coming from a different background and feeling like, well, I don't belong here or they have this great relationship that we don't have and I think he's very young that way uh, uh, or not developed that way you know because later on you may find out maybe they don't like each other as much or maybe that's a great thing and I could be part of that too you know but yes do you have that runaway instinct that he has I, I got no I, I no I, I but I, I I have felt like the outsider when I was younger that I didn't belong because I was with different cultures and maybe people were more educated than me and I was still trying to educate myself and and, and make something of myself you know and then you see people that have all these chances and opportunities and travel all over the world and you haven't traveled anywhere you know uh, and now you know I feel I've been able to to do all those things I wanted to do, you know, and I don't I don't have that anymore. But I remember feeling feeling some of those feelings that you mentioned. Did you feel like an insider or an outsider when you were growing up? Like as a kid. I felt like uh you know, I grew up in a black neighborhood. I moved to Italian, Irish, Jewish neighborhood and and I, that was much harder for me than the first neighborhood I was in. 
So I always felt a little bit like an outsider, yes. I didn't want to go to Catholic school because I didn't feel comfortable. Uh, I think I was right <laughs> about that. Uh, then I got busted out to an all-black school, junior high school. In, in high school, I, I, there, it was a nice mix of people, and I felt a little bit more comfortable. But yes, I did. I, I, I felt like there was a bigger world. And I think my parents helped put that in my mind because they weren't closed-minded. Were there places in your life as someone who grew up in a home that was sometimes violent and in a school environment that was sometimes violent? Right. Were there places where you had refuge? Yes. I mean, listening to music, uh, playing sports, uh, dancing, uh, you know, watching movies. I mean, I never knew anyone who had worked in the movies, but I can just tell you, you know, those were big seminal experiences going to movies or watching you know Warner Brothers films on channel 5 or channel 9 or million dollar movie that used to be I always call it the first VCR because they'd show the same movie five nights in a row and uh, both my parents were movie lovers and that was a you know a way of uh, emotional transportation and I mean I can I tell you putting music on in the basement and uh, you know just all these fantasies I had and stuff. And I still do that when I write a script or work on a script or work on a role, put on music and, you know, and I love movement. And, uh, yeah, so that that was really refuge. You know, we never, we never really traveled. So I had to travel in a different way, you know. And uh, now that I have traveled, it's, and I travel quite, you know, a lot, uh, it's, it's so interesting because sometimes I, I just go, wow. I mean, I just was in Italy and doing press and stuff, but I was like in Milan and looking at the Domo, the Domo in in, uh, in Milan. And I was like, this is unbelievable. And sometimes it hits me, you know, all the places I've gone and books I've read and things I've experienced. And uh, I used to dream about it, you know. We'll finish up with John Turturro after a quick break. Still to come, the Jesus. We'll talk about his iconic role in The Big Lebowski. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rothy's. Rothy's is the everyday flat for life on the go that comes in four fashionable styles for women. The flat, the point, the loafer, and the sneaker. Fun designs and patterns while still looking polished and professional with new colors launched every few weeks. Best of all, Rothy's are made from recycled plastic water bottles and completely machine washable, so you can feel good about wearing them. Go to rothys.com and enter code BULLSEYE to get your flats and free shipping. I'm Bob Boylan, creator of the Tiny Desk Concert Series. We've just launched the 2019 Tiny Desk Contest. It's our search for the next great undiscovered artist. The winner gets to play a Tiny Desk Concert. It'll change your life. Find out more at npr.org slash tinydeskcontest. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is John Turturro. You've seen him in The Big Lebowski and Do the Right Thing and Quiz Show. Alongside Julianne Moore, he stars in the new film Gloria Bell. It's in theaters now. You're one of the best parts of one of my favorite movies, Do the Right Thing, from... Oh, thank you. ...1989. And I think it is one of the best portrayals of a neighborhood that there is. And the feeling of what 
a neighborhood is and what it right. can mean, especially in the city. Right. And it's something that I, I relate to personally, like very deeply, even though I'm from 3,000 miles away. Right. Uh, from New York. Um, and I, I imagine that you must have had a similar kind of understanding of the place you were from and that might have been part of how you you know part of how you ended up in the movie well I ended up in the movie because Spike had seen me do this movie Five Corners and he really that John Patrick Shanley wrote and I did a lot of crazy things and, and it was a great part and uh, yeah, I just, really liked I it. just watched uh, a scene in which you uh, brought a girl two penguins from the zoo and then killed them with right. a stick and threw my mother out the window and all these things so uh, how serious uh, it's a pretty it's like sort of a King Kong role and uh, so when he sent me do the right thing I'd seen she's gotta have it but you know I remember the cover it was this black leather cover and with gold writing and uh, it was made in this place called Studio Duplicating because he doesn't type and they would type your scripts up when uh, you would hand them in handwritten and, uh, and I thought there was something about it that related to what was going on wh- how I grew up and uh, we have very you know we're, we're born like three weeks apart same year I grew up in a black neighborhood I only had black friends, and then I moved to a white neighborhood, and I was not so welcomed And uh, at first. And he grew up in an Italian neighborhood. And uh, so, you know, when he asked me about the movie, I said, listen, you know, we were talking about it. And I said, I, I, I'd really want to play the, the racist guy because I think that's what the movie's about. Yet he's a big fan of all these uh, black uh, basketball players and comedians and singers. And uh, I thought... That would be the more interesting part for me. And uh, we, with his cinematographer, Ernest Dickerson, and, and uh, Wynn Thomas, the designer, and Ruth Carter, the costume designer, you know, everyone, we all worked together in the cast for weeks. And it really was a, I knew it was about something that was real. And uh, I wanted to make it as, complex as as possible at the same time i had to get over my shyness at first uh but once we got to know each other uh, i was able to share things with him and our relationship was really like cemented or our friendship was uh, cemented because i wasn't really afraid to uh to do that in a way that i thought was fair it's really been a very meaningful relationship uh, in in my life, and he's someone I deeply care about. And you know, I remember when the movie was about to come out. Uh, you know, uh, some critics saying there were going to be riots and there was going to be violence in the theaters and stuff. And they never retracted that. And I and I was a little worried because I thought, well, I I could be the victim of that because I play this guy, and I've never I've I've never had a negative comment from the from the black community. I've only had been you know positive reaction from it and i was a little worried because there was one girl on set who had never seen a movie before and she really believed i was the guy and she really didn't like me she she told me you know in certain words that she after seeing the footage projected over and over again that she hated me and, <laughs> and i told spike i said would you please talk to her and tell her that i'm 
you know, playing the character. And uh, he laughed and laughed. But that really cemented our relationship. And then I got to do the other side of that equation when I did Jungle Fever with him, which had, had a lot of my own personal life involved. I put in, you know, contributed, you know, into the script with him. Uh, and I've made a lot of wonderful friendships out of that. So that's a real privilege to do something like that. Uh, and I think... Uh, a lot of people didn't realize the the knapsack that he was carrying on his back, you know, because he likes to stir up the conversation and stuff. But he's a really uh, he's a really good person, and I really love him. I, I want to play a scene with you and Spike Lee from Do the Right Thing. Sure. And your character was named Pino, and he's the son of a guy who owns a pizzeria uh, in the neighborhood. And uh, Pino is... Uh, pretty explicitly vocally racist. And this is a yeah. mostly black neighborhood. Yep. And uh, Spike Lee plays Mookie, who's the pizza delivery guy, and he is also kind of a catalyst for a lot of the story in the neighborhood. He's, you know, because of his job and, and also because of the fact that he's a Spike Lee character played by Spike Lee, uh, who, you know talks and moves and uh, engages with everybody like Spike Lee. <laughs> um, uh, he's, you know, he's like the connective tissue of the neighborhood. Yeah. He's and, the delivery boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to speak. And uh, and so in this scene, uh, Pino, my guest, John Turturro and, and Mookie, who's uh, played by Spike Lee, are talking in the in the restaurant together. You know, I've been listening I'm reading. You've been reading now? I read. I've been reading about your leaders. Reverend Al, Mr. Doo, Sharp Tone, Jesse. Keep hope alive. That's f***ed up. Keep hope alive. Hey, that's f***ed. Don't talk about Jesse. And uh, even uh, the other guy, what's his name? Uh, Farrakhan. Farrakhan. Uh, Minister Farrakhan. All right, sorry. Minister Farrakhan. Anyway, Minister Farrakhan always talks about the so-called day when the black man will rise, we will one day, what does he say, we will one day rule the earth as we did in, in our glorious past? Yeah, that's right. What past are you talking about? I mean, what, what did I miss? We started civilization. Man, keep dreaming, man. Then you woke up. Pino, you, you, pizza, and Frank Sinatra. Yeah. That, so, yeah, because yeah. that's an amazing yeah, yeah that you give him. Well, you know, I think that knowledge is the only power of resistance you have to ignorance, to absolutism, to totalitarianism, you know, fascism, whatever you want to say. Knowledge is is everything, and uh, and being able to know people individually. And say, okay, well, this person's all from the same group, but I like this person. This person bores me, and this person I'm afraid of. You know, uh, uh, so you need experience, and you need and you and you need knowledge. You know, whether that's reading, but I think you do also need interaction. You know, with that, and I think we're seeing in the world uh, sort of this anti-intellectual movement. You know, and uh, you know where people give you the answers and blame others uh, and, and it's everything becomes black and white and, and not gray and I think that you know 
we're surrounded by by ignorance and uh you know once you peel away certain human layers and you scratch at the scab of humanity you see all this you would say primitive you know and horrible behavior in which we've seen throughout history and that's why when you read a writer say like primo Le- primo levi he talks about you know the truce between these wars and things that happen and people have to be constantly civilized or tenderized in some ways and i think you know storytelling can be helpful uh but there's a lot of things that can be helpful certainly education is a big thing and uh and not being so i mean when there was forced integration that doesn't always work but you really need interaction with other people to to get to know them and it's essential and i think it, we're seeing something in the world that is around us right now and it it certainly doesn't feel comfortable to me but i you know it reminds me of like when when you have a, a demagogue you know the first people that are attacked are intellectuals you know that's when books are burned and uh so this little microcosm of a scene you know deals with you know ignorance on a very street level you know what i mean but uh that's something that really interests me and i've tried to do different projects that that deal with 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 these themes because i think they are the major themes you know when my youngest brother brendan was about four years old i think my father and stepmother had bought the big lebowski on vhs from you know when right. at, at blockbuster you could buy it Right, right. After right. it was a new release, they would you know, right. buy it for eight ninety nine, And they watched it a lot. Well, it was in a short list of movies they watched a lot. It was like that. And the, I remember The Commitments and Bram Stoker's <laughs> Dracula were the other ones right. they watched okay. a lot of. And uh, all great movies. And uh, my father and stepmother taught my brother to say, nobody forks with the Jesus. Or at least they claimed... <laughs> That they had taught him forks, right? Because he's, right. you know, he went to preschool and everything. He couldn't just right. go around swearing, right. yeah, at the preschool. I think my my father and stepmother might have been okay with that, actually, but right. <laughs> not at the preschool. <laughs> they had some shame. Um, when you uh, when you got the part in that film. You had already well, worked with. I the- didn't get the part. I basically I'd done two other movies with them: Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink. And uh, I knew Fran McDormand from Yale Drama School, and they had seen me do a play that they, I played a character at the public that was that inspired that character. And they said, "Oh, you know," they, they were really uh, Joel was very taken by it, and uh, and so they kept telling me about it. When I, when I read it, I said, "Well, this." I got nothing to do. I only have a couple little scenes, you know. I, you know, uh, I didn't have to play the lead. And uh, anyway, I, I, I basically I was very thin because I had done the film The Truce, uh, where I played Primo Levi, uh, and uh, I was, you know, it was a few months after that. But I thought, you know, let me try to do something. It's a very small thing, so uh, I came up with a few interesting physical things because once I saw the costume and uh, and they're my friends and I worked 
you know, in big roles with them already, and so I wanted to surprise them a little bit. And, uh, and you know, I, I didn't know what the movie would become what it became, because when it came out, it came and it went, you know. And uh, I remember seeing the first cut of my, my introduction. I was, I was really embarrassed that they put all these things that I kind of did on purpose, even though they shot it to kind of make them laugh. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, like, like eight-year-olds would do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, now I really appreciate the movie. And uh, I was saying to people, I said, you know, so many people just completely missed it. You know, certainly the critics missed it, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, a philosophy, that film. It's a philosophical comedy. I worked I worked with a dude underneath the city hall the Civic Center Plaza in San Francisco. I was a right. I worked for the Department of Elections and he told me I was just out of college and he was probably 29. Right. And we we were the only guys who were allowed to talk. We would carry around these pallets of votes to be counted. <laughs> and and he said to me, you know, me and my girlfriend, he heard that I liked the Big Lebowski, he said, you know, me and my girlfriend, we quit going to church. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine, you know, whatever. And he says, yeah, every Sunday morning we wake up, get high, and watch the Big Lebowski. <laughs> well, you know, this is a strange, it's a, it's, a, it's a phenomenon. You know, you talk about like all these films that make a lot of money or win all these awards, and The Big Lebowski didn't do any of that. It, it did very well in, I think, England, and I know it did very well in Italy, but it just goes to show you, you know, when, when something has resonance, you know, it was years later when I saw it with young people, and I was like, 10 years later, I was like, wow, everyone knows the lines. This is much funnier than I even thought it was. You know, I always thought Jeff was superb and just, you know, they've used elements of his own personality and he's just such a beautiful actor. It's just, and John is great in it, but, you know, Jeff captures something that I think people, you know, people don't want to grow up. You know, they, you know, there's a part of people that they, they really admire someone who's unambitious. You know, <laughs> dresses in their bathrobe, and I don't know, but he just it just hit the zeitgeist, and uh, it's very hard for comedies to sustain itself. It usually runs out of steam, and even some of their comedies they've tried it hasn't been as successful as that. But something about it that is just uh, consistently surprising. You but, know, and and human, I think, and it, maybe because it's based on some of their friends, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that's the truth. Uh, but it's a philosophical outlook. <laughs> let's know. let's hear my guest John Tortoro as uh, the Jesus from the Big Lebowski. I see you roll your way to the semis. Dios mío, man. Liam and me, we're gonna f- you up. Yeah. Well. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Let me tell you something, Pandeo. You pull any of your crazy sh- with us, you flash a piece out on the lanes, I'll take it away from you and stick it up your ass and pull the f- trigger till it goes click. Jesus. You said it, man. <laughs> Nobody f- with the Jesus. <laughs> That's it, man. You know, <laughs> such a great reaction take from Jeff Riches. <laughs> Jesus, man. 
Well, it's just like, you know, your opinion, man. My, this is my younger son. He says this to me all the time. He quotes the Lebowski, you know. <laughs> this really helps parroting, you know. Oh, my God. Did you choreograph that yourself? I mean, yeah, like maybe yeah, choreograph, choreograph is too strong a word. I'm like but... J- Jerome Robbins. I choreograph all my my numbers. You're known as the I, Tommy Tune of your generation. Yeah, I mean, people they, they, they because the reason why I don't want to have choreographers and stuff. I I think that movement. First of all, I've done a lot of dancing, and uh, but you want to have unconscious movement because it reveals. Movement reveals. And I don't want to have someone telling me how to move, you know. I mean, if there's a certain dance from the 40s, I'll learn it. But then I try to add the character stuff to it. But that's all my stuff. So, yeah. A few years ago, you... I'm sort of like Anne Margaret, you know. (laughs) Anne Margaret is a big inspiration. I'm not saying this lightly. She is. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Think of me as the female Anne Margaret. Yeah. Well, John, I uh, I could talk to you about your many roles for another three hours, if we had the time. But, but oh, well. we're, we're out of time, so okay. I, I'm very, very grateful that you uh, took this time to come. Well, be on thank Bullseye. you. It was a really uh, fun and stimulating and wide ranging conversation. So uh, that's a pleasure to have. So thank you for having me, and I wish you well. And and thanks for having me on your show. John Turturro, everyone. Gloria Bell is in theaters now. His performance in it is brilliant, and it's a wonderful movie. John Turturro is, of course, in many brilliant and amazing movies, and he's brilliant in almost everything he acts in. I I do want to say that if you go on YouTube and you search for his movie Five Corners, um, you will see the craziest scene possibly in cinema history that is performed credibly by credible professionals. It is so bonkers. It's a little distressing, too. If you really don't want to see, spoiler alert, any birds get hurt, then uh, don't watch it. But man, I, I will remember it forever, having seen it once. We've come to the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is recorded at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters, overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where we had swarms of painted lady butterflies outside of our window this week. It was a really remarkable sight. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We have help from Casey O'Brien. Our new production fellow is Jordan Cowling. Thank you, Jordan. Our interstitial music is by DJW, a.k.a. Dan Wally. Our thanks to him for making that music for us. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation. It's by the band The Go Team. They and their label Memphis Industries were nice enough to let us use that. Our thanks to them, of course. You should go support that great band. And before you go, I have been making this show for nigh on two decades. Coming up on two decades, and almost every episode we've ever made is on our website at MaximumFun.org. You can also find us on YouTube, where these interviews that you heard today and almost all of our interviews for the past few years are up and easily shareable and searchable. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne on YouTube. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Bullseye and Facebook.com slash Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. 
Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.